Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. Welcome to Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. We're broadcasting live from the beautiful studio at Jolt Radio in Miami, Florida. Jolt sits inside a thriving stretch of Northwest 7th Avenue in the district west of Wynwood known as Alapata. Times are changing here in the shadow of Interstate Highway 95. Once ignored by developers, this neighborhood is gradually becoming known as a new destination for art and culture. The phenomenon that we're here to talk about today is how blighted or invisible or abandoned urban spaces can become sites of creativity. And in that conversation is also the idea of what infrastructure and culture mean. And infrastructure meaning the highways, the metro rail, the bus system, all of those things that make an urban life work. So today my guests are cultural producers at the intersection of contemporary art, public art, and the urban infrastructure. And with me in the studio will be Meg Daly, founder of The Underline, Amanda Sanfilippo, a newly appointed curator of public art for Miami-Dade County, and Augustina Woodgate, an artist who's presenting one of the first public art projects on The Underline beginning this weekend. Ryan Gravel, creator of Atlanta's Beltline, a similar linear green space in Atlanta, will be calling in to talk to us about his genius idea. Let's set the stage with a podcast episode I recorded with Amanda Sanfilippo last fall about an independent temporary public art project that she presents every year called Fringe Projects. I'm Kathy Bird. This is Fresh Art International. Today we're in Miami, and I have a riddle for you. What do a hotel facade, a waterfront park, storm drains, and a city sidewalk have in common? The answer is, they are all sites of creativity for Fringe Projects 2016. Fringe Projects is an independent public art agency in Miami that commissions temporary art and performance projects in connection with the city's downtown art days. Each fall, a handful of contemporary artists have the chance to lay claim to new and sometimes unexpected urban spaces. Curator Amanda Sanfilippo has been working with artists to create one-of-a-kind site projects for more than a decade. Ever since she became curator of Fringe Projects four years ago, she's been expanding on the potential for these artworks to make a lasting impression on Miami's cultural landscape. I became quite inspired by working briefly with Creative Time in New York City while I was finishing my master's. And Creative Time and another organization that I did a case study with in London called Art Angel, a project could be commissioned in the urban realm or really in the public realm in a way in which the artwork itself is integrated with this context. It's just a much larger, expansive view of potential for an artwork. There is clearly an interest in this kind of practice for artists. 
you know, there are many artists who simply, their, their practice is based in the public realm. Art in the public sphere has so much more opportunity to reach the non-initiated. From artist perspectives, it is a magical experience for an artist to be able to really realize something at that scale. Um, you know, that's very important. The temporary project has this dynamic engagement mm. with the public mm-hmm. that sometimes erodes over time with permanent well, that all that and also temporary projects are easier to execute. You can push through something that's maybe controversial. You can push through something that, you know, is timely. Related to current events. Yeah. Your party has nominated a woman for president. Current events getting the most attention in this part of the world are hurricane season, sea level rise, and the 2016 presidential election. That's what's so great about these temporary artworks. Every year, selected artists can explore ideas at different sites. So far, all within a mile of the Miami Center for Architecture and Design. When you sent the call and got the proposals, were there certain landmarks of our downtown or our city that artists were drawn to expose well, or respond to. You're bringing up something really important to fringe projects, which is that part of the application is asking an artist to propose the site. So that's a very unusual way to work with an artist. And it's, it's very unusual for public art as well. So allowing the artist to propose that site, that's what makes it so interesting is they're, they're all over the map. We were talking, it, it is an accessible area. It is accessible via the public transportation, the metro movers, which has been a real treasure to really Mm -hmm. integrate. The duration may be three days to six months. Sure, exactly. And some of the projects, you know, I hope very much that they can have a longer life. I really am hoping that some of them we can at least get through December and get some great exposure for those artists. This year, four projects will pop up around downtown. One in LED panels on the facade of the upscale Intercontinental Hotel. Sebrin Versteeg is a New York-based artist. I've known him for years. Sebrin has a particular kind of skill set and acumen that revolves around sort of algorithmic and digital permutations of data. Data as media. In a sense, yeah. And sort of embracing the randomness of data. What he's interested in doing is reading a book on the LCD facades of the Intercontinental, uh, which is a large hotel in downtown Miami. And really the book, which is called uh, Small is Beautiful, is a meditation on scale of economies and abuses of power. He's quite interested in the context of this election. And of course, it's ironic. Something small is going to be projected yeah, as huge. Yeah, and, yeah exactly. <laughs> and also the enormity of it won't be able to be graspable. It'll be very hard to read. It will, you'll have to have your head turned to one side to read it. And then it will be something that you would have to stay up for three days and three nights to read the entire book. Seabird and I are co-curating a selection of videos by other contemporary artists, which will be displayed on LCD screens throughout the lobby. The ideas of wealth and power are very palpable in that lobby. Another will emerge from beneath the walkways on the Miami-Dade College campus. Hiya, down here. I'm everywhere below. I'm very excited about Cara Despain's project. Her project is going to be completely audio, and it will be on the Wolfson campus. 
a barrage of different sounds and noises that are emanating from the uh, sewer grates. It's too late. It's here. One will appear in Bayfront Park. I'm working with an artist named John Patrick Walsh the third, and uh, JPW3 is he's known, and he's a Los Angeles-based artist doing an update of a project that he's done before. Although I really like to do new commissions, I think that this is something that we're going to tailor and make for here. It has to do with a tea house. And the fourth promises to entertain pedestrians on the sidewalk outside the Center for Architecture and Design. I'm really happy to be working with Alan Gutierrez, who's a Miami-based artist. He has a performance project. It'll involve a rain machine and some theatrical lighting. Miami's public art environment is open to both temporary and permanent projects. This summer, Amanda took on a new role. She's now curator and artist manager of Art in Public Places for Miami-Dade County Department of Cultural Affairs. How will your vision for an ongoing year-round series of interventions play out through your new role with Art in Public Places? I'm so thrilled to be doing that, and I think that what really we will do is embrace Fringe. Fringe is really independent, but it is supported by the county to a degree, so I think that we can bring it in-house, in a sense, and think of Fringe as that that branch of art and public places that is temporary, that is intervention-based, and enrich the scope of what that program uh, can do. And hopefully it will thrive and grow and have the potential for other partners. I also hope through the county to mount public art initiatives with institutions in town and working together to do that both supporting them with funds and supporting them with expertise and being able to create some big things together. So it's terribly exciting. It's very exciting. Congratulations, Thank Amanda. You. Thank you. I'm Kathy Bird. This Fresh Art International podcast episode features Miami-based curator Amanda Sanfilippo. We've been talking about one of my favorite subjects, art in the public realm. In a few weeks, Fringe Projects will bring four unique creative ideas to the city of Miami. Visit FreshArtInternational.com to learn more about this exciting public art initiative and check FringeProjectsMiami.com for the full event schedule. Good morning. You are listening to Fresh Art International, and that was a podcast episode I recorded with Amanda Sanfilippo, about Miami's French projects, an annual presentation of temporary public art installations and performances that takes place at sites within a mile of downtown Miami. I'm Kathy Bird, and today we're broadcasting from the studio at Jolt Radio. We're talking about public art and the infrastructure of the city. Ryan Gravel is calling in from Atlanta. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to uh, Miami, virtually. Thank you. It's great to be here. I I met you uh, years ago when I was director of the Welch School Gallery in Atlanta at Georgia State, and you participated in a year-long exhibition project with me uh, under the rubric of Reconstructing Atlanta, and it seems like that's the kind of work you've been doing for years now. I think I'm going to introduce you as an urban thinker and designer, 
And what I know you for from the very beginning is the thesis you wrote in 1999 for your grad degree at Georgia Tech about this idea for an Atlanta Beltline. Tell me where you came up with that idea. Like, where did where did the vision come from? Well, I was a student uh, studying architecture and city planning, had done a year abroad in Paris uh, in college, and really um, got obsessed with the role of infrastructure in shaping not only the way that we move around, uh, but uh, it's the foundation for our economy, for our social life, and for our culture. It matters what we build the way that we live our lives. And you came home and was frustrated with Atlanta um, and wanted to create a new kind of infrastructure that would create a different way of life for people and one that would revitalize urban communities and create walkable, healthy districts and, you know, uh, incentivize the redevelopment of a lot of urban land that was um, underutilized. And so um, Atlanta's unique to have this loop of railroads and um, came up with an idea to propose reusing them for what has grown to become the Atlanta Beltline. And, um, you know, story, story took off from there. We uh, created a real true grassroots movement where people um, sort of believed in the project and the citizens of Atlanta believed in it before any of their elected officials. And um, the whole thing just kind of took off. I mean, that's the short version of her many years. I love that idea of you excavating a buried treasure in a way, this abandoned railroad that in some places you just couldn't even see anymore. Yeah, it was right there in front of everybody's nose. And that's the kind of idea that, uh, you know, once you, nobody's thinking about it, but once you say it, it's obvious, you know, that that's what you need to do. And that, um, and of course, now that uh, it's being built uh, years later, um, and, and driving a tremendous amount of success uh, for the city, economic impact. Um, you know, now it's, you know, it seems like the most obvious thing you would do, but it, it didn't at the time. It had to be kind of discovered. Yeah, well, that was about over 15 years ago now, right? Uh, where's yeah. the Where's the Beltline now? Well, we spent, um, we it's 22 miles long. We've got about four miles of trail built. The idea is to take the whole loop and convert it into both a trail and a streetcar-type transit system. Um, we've got about four miles of trail built, no transit yet. Um, we've got another five miles of trail under construction right now. We just passed a transit referendum that will pay for the transit, so all of it is sort of coming together. But we're still in the early stages of implementation of it. With that said, we've seen we've spent about four hundred and fifty million dollars, uh, mostly for land acquisition um, and different sections of parks and trails along the way. There's a big park component to it too, and arboretum and public art and all that. Um, but we spent about four hundred fifty million dollars so far. We've seen well over three billion dollars of private sector investment as a direct result. So the economic sort of story of it is just is truly unbelievable and. Um, and, you know, all along the way, you know, really creating, doing what we wanted it to do. It's creating a whole different new way of life for people. Um, I just got to my office at Pont City Market, which is built out of this old Sears building. Um, I rode my bike six minutes to, to work on the Beltline. Um, you know, it's, that's, that's something that wasn't really uh, possible before. And, and when you project forward at what the future of Atlanta looks like because of this sort of investment, it's, it's going to be 
in a completely different place. And I've been there when I go back to visit my children, and it's just a, a stunning experience of people coming together and walking outdoors, doing healthy things uh, in ways that I don't think the city had been activated uh, for yeah, the public you know, in uh, ever. Yeah. I mean, I say this all the time. It's it's not only changing the physical form of the city, it's doing that, but it's also, more importantly, changing the way that we think about the city and what our expectations are for living there. I took my kids to the grocery store a couple months ago, and they were complaining about it. They were like, oh, Dad, we don't want to go. If we have to go, can we at least ride our bikes? And I was like, of course we can ride our bikes. That's what people in Atlanta do. We ride our bikes to the grocery <laughs> store. That's so great. And it's, ri- it's ridiculous, but they don't know that. And now they've got you know, a generation of new residents who believe that Atlanta is the kind of place that you ride your bike. And their, their cultural expectations are very different. And that's really, really powerful when you start to look at the really daunting sort of challenges ahead about urbanization and all of the other things that are impacting cities today. And I'm thinking about, like, what role public art has played in the realization of the Beltline. Tell me what's happened with, with public art in that domain. Well, we've, I, I would say that the effort right now is still a bit uh, fledgling. You know, we've got, we had some uh, arts organizations, um, like, you know, the project that I did, worked on with you. We've had a, a series of initial kinds of people out there. You know, the, the opportunity for public art is kind of obvious. We have not yet, I think, gotten to the point where it's, uh, it's quite achieved its potential and, and, and really elevated the role of public art. Um, we've had some really great pieces and we've had, we have some really great events, but I think the potential is much greater. And I think people realize that, but the actualization of making that happen is we haven't done yet. The best example, though, is the Lantern Parade, which is this crazy idea that uh, Chantel Ritter had of that people would walk down the trail in the dark carrying homemade lanterns. And the first year she did it, there were about 200 people. And the next year, there were 400 people, and then 800 people, and then 1,200 people. And then the next year, there were 12,000 people. And then the next year, 20,000 people. And the next year, 60,000 people. And last September, there were over 70,000 people out there literally carrying homemade lanterns in the dark. Uh, down the trail, down a two-mile section of the trail. Um, it's ridiculous, but it illustrates this kind of pent-up demand for a cultural life in the city that really wouldn't be happening without the Beltline. And so the Beltline in that way is a, is a cultural infrastructure. It's, a, it's an infrastructure for a new sort of revitalized or remade or, or re, you know, new created uh, culture in the city um, and social life and all of those other things. I mean, it's just... It's fascinating to see what people do with it. And so from my perspective, only encouraged now with our success here is looking at, you know, new new infrastructures that, yeah, move people around and, you know, spur economic development and all that, but also create the kind of lifestyles that people want. You know, we have Meg Daly here, who is the founder of Miami's version Meg is awesome. And yes, she's a powerhouse she and thinks she you're that. awesome too. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you're my friend. Hi, Ryan. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. How are you? I was just thinking as we're about to celebrate this weekend the launch of some public art projects on the underline here in Miami. What do you see as the greatest challenges for us uh, in developing this project? Ours is a 10 mile linear right. park. 
Well, you know, I think that before I get into the challenges, I want to talk about how projects like the Atlanta Beltline and the New York City High Line and the Chicago 606 are such great precedents that we may be the new kid on the block, but because of the groundbreaking work that Ryan and Robert Hammond and the Trust for Public Land did in Chicago, it's really made our lives a lot easier because there's very successful precedent. Um, and and, and that, that success has fed into our momentum. And I also want to say that because Ryan is very, very humble, he's also a published author and Perfect. has this fabulous book and is really a brilliant thought leader. Um, one of the challenges that all of us have is there's no playbook. You can't go to the library and check out this book on how to great, get great public-private infrastructure projects done. And, you know, the, the matrix and the fabric for every one of these is different. But the, the greatest challenge is always funding um, and, and getting people to understand this unique package of of industrial reuse. I mean, so we have this latent asset that's sort of sitting there waiting for everybody to bring it to life and bring people to place. And I think art is one of the pillars of doing that. Um, so the Under Art, which is opening this weekend, and I know we have Augustina Woodgate here and Amanda to talk about the Under Art event on Saturday. Um, it's an Art Place America grant. And really the the critical piece and what we had to deliver with these four art installations is to get people to play with art, look at it, climb on it as if it's part of their everyday life and get them into this in mode of engagement, um, which I think connects people to place. Right. And so if we were, Ryan, uh, thinking of your book as a playbook, it's called Where We Want to Live. What what will people discover in that book that can help uh others that want to ignite projects like this in their cities. My goal with the book was to start out with um, making the connection between um, infrastructure and culture, you know, that it matters uh, what we build to the way that we live our lives. And it, and it talks about, um, it talks about my year abroad in Paris and the Promenade Fonte there, which was a precedent for the High Line and, uh, and, and for the Beltline. Um, it talks about the the role of sprawl and, and highway building that, that fundamentally changed the way that Americans live. Um, it tells the Beltline story, so if you want to know the detailed uh, account of, of what it did and, and how all the different aspects from the initial kind of ideas around economic development and community revitalization and transit expanded to also include the trail and parks and art and brownfields and all, you know, health and all kinds of other things. There's that, that that account is made. Uh, but then it connects the Beltline to all these other projects that Meg mentioned, the, the High Line, the 606, the Underline, um, the Buffalo Bayou in Houston, the LA River, which is my you know obsession, uh, a beautiful uh, river and a certainly beautiful future for a river that will fundamentally change not only Los Angeles, but the way the rest of us think about Los Angeles. Um, it connects to all those projects and from that defines um, eight sort of key lessons about what what the best versions of these projects, what what we can learn from them in terms of being catalysts for change. Because this, we're not talking about your average rail trail project. Those are fun too and important, but these projects are unique catalysts because the intent there's an intention to change in them. And so the the project, the book kind of details that. 
And then it looks at then it looks ahead of the future and the and the regional changes that's certainly true in Atlanta and Miami and other places. But really, when you look ahead at the changing populations of cities across the country, we need to be really intentional about that change and, and be conscious of uh, not only what that change looks like in terms of sustainability and health and everything, but also who's going to benefit from that and who gets to enjoy that. And um, so looking at equity and health, um, civic identity, those kinds of things. So there's, there's, no, there's no silver bullet. We don't know what the future of cities is about, but. Um, it's intended as sort of a, a sort of a guidebook for the kinds of things that we need to be thoughtful about. Well, I, I think that this is a really um, interesting point um, because I th in many ways Atlanta is a lot like Miami. The way the city is designed, you know, it sort of invited suburban sprawl and separated right. the downtown from the suburbs. And so I think we're going through a process of discovery in Miami where you people really want to live in the city again. Um, right. And that, that means you have to bring life to your city. And so there's a series of steps that have to happen. You have to have the demand, but you also have to have the product that delivers what that, you know, demand is. And in many, right. in many ways it was driven by millennials who, you know, like my kids don't want to drive. They want to take public transit. They want to walk and bike and they want this freedom on foot. Um, that as a city, Miami really doesn't offer that. Um, so I, I think that what, you know, Ryan's talking about is this focus on the urban core and the pillars for the underline are transit, which is mobility in many different ways, walk, bike, train. We're also right along US-1. So it's this integrated approach to movement um, with lots of choices. Um, public green spaces in a private way that you can get to without a car. Um, you know, we have great parks here, but usually have to drive to them. So this will be accessible to anyone who's near a transit station, much like the Atlanta Beltline, you know, so they're, yep. we're, we're delivering this package of really a future way to live. Um, and so if you want to pigeonhole it into, it's this kind of project, it's that kind of project. So I'm going to go back yeah. to the challenges again, is that, this is not a road system. So if you go to DOT, they understand federal highway systems. If you go to uh, a politician, they're going to say, well, I understand public works and so forth. So this is sort of like everything all in yeah. one. And if you look at the efficiency of building something like this as compared to a road system, you get so much bang for your buck and really yeah. so much more um, economic um, output as well as that whole lifestyle revolution that I think we're all seeking. The beauty of these projects is that they, um, they're, they're, they're important to different people for different reasons. You know, some people like the Bellin because it's a, it's a transit project and that's what they really, that's the kind of life they really want. Some people like it because of the trails, some people like it because of the parks or the economic development or just the fact that it's going to clean up, um, you know, the brownfields in their community. Some people like the economy that it's going to bring to their community. Some people like it for public art or the arboretum, educational school connections to schools and all this stuff. So you can come at it for different reasons, but people see themselves as part of a shared, a larger shared vision that has broader kind of benefits to mm -hmm. not only the city, but to, you know, humanity, which is, makes them really beautiful, but especially catalytic in that change because it, it gets, it pulls people together uh, around a, a shared sort of vision for their future. 
we could use one of these at a national level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate I know you have to run, Ryan, and I really yeah. appreciate that you've spent this time with us today and inspiring us always to talk to you and and to really bring in this connection between two urban spaces, which I, too, have had living experience in and appreciate what they have to offer as cultural sites and sites of creativity. So thank you for joining us and come see us in Miami. Thanks, Kathy, for for, uh, including me. It's an honor to be here. Thanks. Thank you, Ryan. So, Meg, let's get back to you because I think it's important for our listeners to hear about what sparked this idea for the underline. Mm-hmm. And you were in sales and marketing as a veteran in that field and then now founder and president of Friends of the Underline, a 10-mile linear park that uh, we're activating in Miami, and it's so exciting. Thank you. Um so I think that one of the cool things about the underline and all these other projects is the is the citizen vision, um, where you have sort of this epiphany, and and also the fact that the citizen can lead the vision in, in partnership with with governmental agencies. Um, so I had a bike accident about four years ago, and I broke both of my arms. Ouch. And it yeah, it was not fun. <laughs> and one of the real downsides is I couldn't get anywhere because I couldn't drive myself. I couldn't feed myself. There was definitely it was a bad moment. But ultimately, I ended up walking below the metro rail as I was, you know, taking a train to get to my physical therapy um, just off of US one. And so it was a, like a hot July day, and I was like so independent. I'm not going to be driven one more day. So I took the train. I got off. I walked to physical therapy. And in walking below Metro Rail, I realized just how much space is there. Um, it's over 100 feet wide, which is three times the width of the High Line. Um, and it's actually wider than most of these projects. And I was the only person out there using this sort of like skeletal little trail that runs below Metro Rail. And I thought, why aren't we doing something more with it? And it was really the High Line that inspired the, that moment of aha, but it was people here locally that have helped make it happen. Um, I think we got lucky. We, we started talking to the right people. Um, Maria Nardi with um, the county uh, parks department um, and then the School of Architecture at UM, Liz plater Zybrook at the time. She said, boy, this is an urbanist dream to do a project with um, a, something that's this, of this scope and scale, um, but also could potentially have so much impact. So we really fast-tracked. We got endorsements. We got um, funding from the Knight Foundation for our master plan. Um, And I am just a citizen. I had never been to a public meeting in my life. I had never shaken the hand of a politician in person. And so I think it really shows how open Miami is to uh, big, bold ideas that are led by citizens because we're going to start building this year. And how bold you are. Oh, I'm old. I'm not bold. I'm just old. Um, and, you know, and we have a fabulous board. We're a nonprofit that's leading the, the project. Uh, we're now under the purview of Miami-Dade County Transportation Department. But this is really a multi-pronged um, support. So we work with the Parks Department, um, Art and Public Places, Cultural Affairs, as well as the Transportation Department. So I think it shows the, the depth of of um, the project as well as the depth of our bench to deliver it. And where will we begin celebrating this 
underlying project this week? So the, Well, the underlying, just to give you the scale, starts at the Miami River, goes down to Dayland South. It's 10 miles long. Uh, we'll be building the first three quarters of a mile beginning in the fall of 2017. Um, and we are unveiling um, Under Art, which is uh, four uh, public art installations done by local artists. And those will be unveiled on Saturday from 2 to 5 p.m. at the Brickell Metro Rail Station. It's a free event. Um, sign up, show up. Um, I think that if, if you think that Miami is changing, I think this is just a great uh, showcase for that story. And I think that's where Amanda Sanfilippo comes in as the curator of public art for Miami-Dade County and integral to logistics and working with the artists in this project. Yeah, thank you, Kathy. And, you know, I'm happy to be here, but I'm, I'm really happy to be able to jump into this large project that has been in the works for years in conjunction with The Underline and my predecessor, Brandy Reddick, at Miami-Dade County Department of Cultural Affairs, Art and Public Places, and our wonderful Parks and Recreation Department, and also in support from Miami-Dade County's Transportation Department, as Meg mentioned. So there are a lot of big, wonderful players in this project. It's a complicated public-private partnership, as Meg mentioned. And I just got to jump in, so thank you. <laughs> the artists, which are really the star in inaugurating what this park really means in terms of public space and in terms of a cultural space, four Miami-based artists, Augustina Woodgate, who's with us today, Nicholas Lobo, Bhakti Baxter, and, of course, Naomi Fisher. So each one of these artists proposed concepts to uh, Brandy Reddick, who was the curator of Art and Public Places prior to me, and, and really work through concepts that were built to be temporary and built to be site-specific and site-determined to some extent. And I'll harp on that because that's interesting and important. These projects are designed for this space in a very particular way. These projects are responding to the site, and they're really you know unique and special. The fact that they're temporary is a good thing. Temporary artworks have many different dimensions that permanent artworks don't, and you know, that there's pros and cons to both scenarios, but I'm really excited that this first round are temporary because they can address really timely concerns. They can do things that, especially when you're wrangling in between these these giants of these departments and all the infrastructure, temporary is so much more nimble and can get a lot more done. I'm just thrilled to be part of this, this massive thing that, that's been uh, rocking and rolling already. And is, there's a vision, an ongoing vision for public art interventions along the Beltline. This is just the one of a series yeah, plan? this is the inaugural uh, group, and, and we're thrilled because this is means a lot in terms of, you know, kind of, you know, the underline has been announced, but this is, I think, one of the first, well, certainly the first moment when art and, and the underline are in the picture together. It's really, I think we have RSVPs of over 800 people who are getting ready to join us on Saturday to celebrate both the achievement. I rsvp Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> both the achievement of the underline itself, the achievement of mounting public art on the underline, and, and just the sheer fact that this is happening. I think it's, it's going to get into a lot of people's radars. This event will cause that to happen. So, yeah, we're, we're excited. Well, me too, and I think it's time to introduce the artist and go into some depth with one of the projects that will be unfolding beginning the 13th. Good morning, Augustina. Good morning, Kathy. Thank you for having me. 
you are a radio pro, so here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice to be back. Yes. Well, this is just one in a series of uh, Augustina's radio broadcast projects, radioee.net. And let's describe what that means. Radioee.net is a nomadic multilingual online radio station. <laughs> and it's intention conceptually is to do to address certain topics correct the radio travels to different cities transmits in different languages because we are in motion we we must address the languages present in the territories and when and as we move we 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 sort of keep the editorial direction pretty focused on the topic of mobility but the conversation results always uh, completely different because it is so much filtered through the through the locality where we are where we are broadcasting from you're interested in conversations around mobility migration and transportation the way we approach it is com- in in different from different perspectives so from transportation to immigration and then also from various different creative ways um also, it is not necessarily only a talk show. There's also a very high presence of local sounds. And I, I met you, just to yeah. recall, where we got involved and I worked with you, recorded with you, was for Auto Body during True. Miami Art Week a couple of years ago when True. you broadcast from an America. Auto Body shop. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we took over back then. We took over the, um, the, the reception area of the mechanic shop and we turned it into a into our station, and there we had a hell of a week, right? Yes, <laughs> it was a lot. yes, a you big packed it in. Yeah. And you, uh, I, no, I remember the guests, I came and recorded with you there, were sitting in bucket seats, Yeah. and there were signs from the shop that existed before, and we could look out into yeah, the yeah. exhibition area. So it was stationary, but I know you've also done actual mobile yeah. in the back of a... Truck, of a truck yeah. uh, in Washington D.C. Yeah, I think correct. you did yes, a twenty-four yes. hour project, and and then you just went to Dallas and presented one uh, about Dallas's transformation yeah. as a city. Yes, um, for Dallas it was interesting because um, there we somewhat uh, filtered the conversation through the sun, so it was mainly focused on the sun as the promise. Um, for it and its promise for transformation and transportation, you know, and you know that's kind of counterculture for Texas oil country to have a Absolutely. project focused on solar power. Yeah, but Texas <laughs> also has the potential to become the number one solar po- provider um, for the entire country of America. Yes, shall I confess now that I'm a Texan? <laughs> <laughs> So Dallas was a very interesting one, um, but yeah. So the, every time we we broadcast is is a complete different communication texture. The fact that we are in motion doesn't necessarily always mean that we talk about mobility, but we are already in it. You yeah. are in it. So We're let's, let's in hear it. what you're going to be generating in Miami.
Ciclo. Exploring all things architecture. Ciclo. Transmitiendo en vivo desde una bicicleta colectiva. Ciclo. Traveling the future path of the underline. going to be following the path of the underline. Yeah. Um, or at least trying, because the underline <laughs> is still not here, so the path is actually really challenging. I noticed that's going to be a challenging yeah. circuit you're making. She's yeah. going to be pedaling her way. With a 16-people bicycle, what they call a party bike. <laughs> so we partner up with a local business called City Bike. And um, they are bringing, they're bringing their, their bicycle. Is a, it actually has 10 seats for peddlers and then a little back living room on the back. And with this giant... So you're going to sit back there and let everyone else pedal you no. around? Unfortunately, the audio technician took the seats on the back to ah, set up all the equipment. Yes. You know how they need a, a lot of room. And so everyone that talks pedals. Otherwise, there's no movement. So... The idea is to move from station to station, utilizing the stations to drop off and pick up our guests, just like the train. But our motion is a little slower. It would take us an hour to go from station to station. And as we move... I have yeah. a question. Yeah. Have you been in training? Uh, on the, you mean on the, on the bicycle? Yeah. Yes. And we, <laughs> I have been, but I must confess that this kind of bicycle is completely different than the regular bicycle because it is a collective cycling. So if one bicycles a little harder than everyone else, does less of a job, you know? So it needs to be, um, you need to get into the rhythm so that we are all cycling evenly. Otherwise, someone is doing all the work for the rest. It's like canoeing or sculling. Yes. <laughs> Everyone's going to have to be paying attention. Yes, exactly. That's and funny. It would be challenging because there's many things to pay attention. And one of them is actually, as I was saying before, the fact that the underline is still not here um, is a greater challenge. So instead of, instead of actually talking throughout the, throughout the three days of the broadcast about how great the underline and all that's to come, we're actually going to reflect totally the contrary, like how much we need it because it is almost impossible to travel the location as it is right now. Some of the stations don't have ramps, so we have to enter the trail through the parking lot or through back roads. So we hope to, through these complications and all the noise and, and soundscape that we're going to be surrounded with, the idea of the need of an underline will come through just by us actually experiencing the complexities of the territory as it exists. 
So what other voices will be on your show? Who will you be talking to about the future and potential of the underline? And also the past. A lot of the broadcast is about what is it, what is there right now that might not be there in the future, and also what was there before. Um, so the idea is to somewhat unveil the, the stories and the layers that this territory contains or this path contains um, before transportation, before urban transportation. So we have um, a specialist that's going to come and talk about um, slash pines, which all the territory, that all that area used to be a forest, a, a slash pine forest. We have a member of the Mikosuki community coming over for the slot as well. We also have um, an architect um, that it's, um, did a wonderful exhibition at the History in Miami right now about uh, the architect is called Parker. The name of the architect that's coming to the to the radio is called Alan Schulman. And with him, we're going to be talking about air conditioning and how air conditioning has changed the entire architecture of the city. He would be paired up with a scientist that does uh, studies on cloud formation and the complexities of technology and GPS on, on cloud formation. So there's many different angles that we address in order to kind of unpack what the future underline could be what it is today and what it was before. Also, this path is actually part of the East Coast Greenway, which is a path that goes from Maine to Key West. It's one of the first trails of United States of America. Super cool. So that's your next destination, Key West? No, not at all. <laughs> so it's a 10-mile trip you'll be making over three days. Yeah. And you have all the peddlers you need? Correct. You're completely booked. You've got everybody totally. on board. Yeah. I mean, the, the team of the radio, it's already taking half of the seats, right? That's true. I mean, there's a lot of logistics <laughs> involved. Again, there's, like Meg was saying, this is a mixed this is a mixed transit area. So we have train, we have buses, there's cars, there's the cyclers, then there's the pedestrians. All this is what we're going to encounter, and each one brings its own particularities on traveling a, 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 a trail like this. Exactly. So now for those people who can't jump on your bike or find you in your path, how will they hear you? How will they find you? RadioEE.net transmits only online. That's also aligned with our nomadic uh, per, per profile. So you can tune in on RadioEE.net Friday, Saturday and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. Okay, super. And I was lucky you shared with me some of the music that's going to be played as part of this peddling experience. And we're about to listen to Twin, a new single called Cast Me Out.
Hi there, we're back on the air with Fresh Art International on Jolt Radio in Miami. You were just listening to a single that's just out. They shared it with me before it's even been released by Twin. They will be one of the sounds you hear if you're pedaling around or listening to the show, Augustina's Ciclo, that will be broadcast the 13th, 14th, and 15th of this month. I know that what she described to you is super complicated and exciting. Meg had some thoughts about just her response to the idea of this work. Well, I mean, I think Augustina is so her your idea is so brilliant because it captures, I think, the the, the very bad condition of the current empath. I think demonstrates how difficult it is to ride or walk. Um, which is one of the things that we, one of the key things we want to change. Um, but I think activating the conversation, you know, highlighting the complexity and the impact of the project on this, this really this bike-powered radio station, I think it just captures everything, everything from the Pine Rockland to the Hardwood Hammock, you know, to the East Coast Greenway, to bicycle and pedestrian safety and transportation and mobility. I mean, you nailed it. And also, just to chime in there, um, this live radio radio broadcast, which is taking place this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, will also be archived in a series of podcasts, which Augustina will be formulating in the next couple of weeks. So not only do we have actually this sort of live event, which is an activation, a participatory artwork, and um, a massive you know gathering of thinkers in this topic, but we will have this now archived in perpetuity. So this is important cultural material that mm-hmm. um, Augustine had the foresight to, to produce a, you know, a um, container for. We've been working with Transit, who's been open-minded to allowing us to use some of the advertising infrastructure inside of the stations and inside of the rail cars to let us message about this. Let's talk a little bit more about the other projects in our conversation today about the underline in public art. Another project we're very excited about is uh, Naomi Fisher's um, work, uh, which is, its title is Hashtag Puzzled. And um, Naomi is coming out of a background of 
really multidisciplinary. So she's thinking about dance, uh, contemporary dance, as well as visual art. Um, and because this artwork is in the public realm, she really wanted it to, to be participatory. So this is an artwork. It's a sculptural object that actually has a ballet bar built into it. And um, visitors are encouraged to use the ballet bar. It will be activated through a series of performances and dancers um, who will be who will be working on it. Um, this piece is at the Brickell Metro Rail Station um, at the you know start of the underline. It will be activated on Saturday's opening reception between two and five p.m. So we're really excited for that. Um, another artwork that we're working with is, of course, uh, Nick Lobo, another Miami-based artist. Nick's work is called Brutal Workout, and it's a 10-foot by 10-foot cube, which is designed to rest on any of its six sides, and it will be resting on different sides as it, as it actually moves from station to station. There's a schedule whereby it will be at uh, the Brickle Station for several weeks, move to Douglas Road, move to Coconut Grove, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this work is also participatory. It's going to be activated by calisthenic experts who will actually use the various, um, you know, configurations of this work to work out. In the larger picture, it's having this dialogue with brutalist architecture. It is made of the same stainless steel that much of the infrastructure of the stations is made of. So Nick is, as always, extremely thoughtful and sensitive to his environment, um, and he's really made a work that uh, deals with leisure in the context of um, a very sort of uh, capitalist, uh, labor-focused uh, context, you know, people using the train in a very utilitarian manner. Uh, so he's, he's thinking at great length about that. Bhakti Baxter, like Augustina's sort of infiltration of the stations themselves with her signage, and advertising space, usurpation of that. Bhakti is using the stations as well as a site for eight unique sculptural objects which all house living tropical plants. So these different, the piece is actually called Metro Flower Power, and it's a really sensitive design project which is aimed at creating interventions within the stations that are full of these tropical plants. These plants are actually going to be uh, planted alongside the underline after the project's completion, so they will go from the stations out onto the path. Excellent. So much to tell everyone about this project. Maybe we'll have to do a second show to talk about how it turned out. Thank you for joining me today, Meg Thompson-Daly, founder of The Underline, Amanda Sanfilippo, curator of public art for Miami-Dade County, and Augustina Woodgate, who will be presenting Ciclo, peddling about the town to celebrate our newest park. You can find out more about this project at theunderline.org or follow us on social media at the Underline MIA. And also at the um, Miami-Dade County Art and Public Places website, which is miamidadepublicart.org. Okay, super. And so before I leave you, I want to share a special message about an opportunity for French visual artists who are listening today. The cultural services of the French Embassy in the United States, the Institut Francais, and the FACE Foundation have just launched this amazing new residency program, Etant Donné Residencies, and the project will support French artists or those living in France and French territories for more than five years that are seeking to propose a two- to four-month project in the U.S. in collaboration with an American organization. We have tons of residency opportunities in Florida, The grant is for residencies taking place between April and December 2017, 
the deadline is January 27th, which is upon us. Considering the Florida's geographic and cultural ties with the Caribbean, they're really encouraging proposals for residency that involve research and projects linked to the Caribbean. So to find out more, visit face-foundation.org and search Etendonne Residencies. If we have time today to listen to a segment of one more music element that will be in the CCLO project, it's Poor Girl, We Trashy. Like old Doritos, Crunchy. torpedoes, tits and speedos. Call me flow like I'm some old school woke. Did you know? I'm, I'm stacking dominoes. Yeah, stacking dominoes. Bro, you don't know me. Phony, baloney, jabroni, looking Al Capone, Bugsy, Mugsy, pepperoni, calzone. Leave me alone. <sighs> What seems to be the hassle, you filthy rascal? Get the hell out of my castle, I'm a natural. It's nature, parks. Get your paper out the way, sir. This is Major Tom. I'm dropping bombs like, I'm dropping bombs like, all over your mud, all over your mom's white dress. What a mess. Lousy damsel in distress, blurriness is a symbol of success. I confess, man, bitch, bitch, please, please. get off your knees. This ain't the chapel. Yeah. Look like you taste like some crab, crab apple snapple. snapple. I know what you want. You want. I know I can get you to your planet. Fresh Art International, and you were just listening to Poor Girl, We Trashy, music that will be presented in Augustina's upcoming radio EE broadcast, CCLO, on the underline this weekend. Events on January 13, 14, and 15 will take place along this 9.7-mile corridor that includes the metro station locations between Brickell and Dadeland South. This is Fresh Art International, and I'm Kathy Bird. If you like what you're hearing, let us know at FreshArtINTL and at Jolt Radio. Meet me here every week for Contemporary Art Talk.